All right, guys, welcome back to the Business Shift podcast. I am super excited who we've got coming on today. We've got Rachel Green joining us. Rachel is the founder of Rach Green Cocktails, a company that offers a very unique virtual experience that combines delicious cocktails with engaging storytelling. I don't think I have seen anybody else do this kind of thing with the online space. So I cannot wait to talk to her about communities and everything like that. Um, With over 300 successful virtual events under her belt, Rachel has established herself as an expert in delivering memorable and interactive virtual experiences for both business to business and consumer audiences with a focus on innovation and creativity. She's always seeking new ways to interrupt traditional event patterns and bring a touch of excitement to any gathering, whether it's through their delicious cocktails or their unwavering commitment to customer service. Rachel and her team at Rage Green Cocktails are always striving to create meaningful connections and build a sense of community through their virtual events. So this is going to be a good podcast, guys. Let's go ahead, cue that intro, and then we'll bring her on. Welcome to The Business Shift, the podcast for online entrepreneurs who are focused on making the shift to business owners. We talk about what it takes to build and grow a thriving digital empire and the transition required as you grow. This is a shift I chose to make in my own business, your client success, and one you'll want to consider making as you grow from solopreneur to business owner. Please share and enjoy. Rachel, welcome to the show. Yay! Thank you, Elena, for having me. I'm so excited. (laughs) Yes, I'm so excited to have you here. I just want to start off with your story as an entrepreneur. um, Why why cocktails? Why making a whole business around that? Like Like I said, I don't think I've seen anybody do that before, and I love it. So just want to hear your story and your journey uh, to get to where you are today. Yeah, mainly because nobody did it. <laughs> Just kidding. <Yeah. laughs> um, people are like, ah, I'm making virtual cocktails um, online. I can't make a business from that. Watch me. <laughs> yeah, you're like, watch I'm me. coming. I'm coming for it. Um, well, I've been, a, I've been in, in kind of the entrepreneur space since I was young. My dad's an yeah. entrepreneur. I've, I've seen kind of the rises and falls of things. I've seen his successes. I've seen some of his struggles. And I always knew because I was told from a very young age, like, if you want to own if you want to work at a salon, own it. Like, if you want to do this, own it. Right. So I've always had those things kind of instilled in me since I was a kid. So when I moved for about 10 years through the hospitality industry, I knew that every bite of experience that I was having at, the, at any point in that process was to develop strength and becoming an owner one day of something in food and beverage. So that's, that's pretty much like how and why I got into it. But I went from cocktail server to catering manager to like volunteer at local farms for farm to table restaurant I worked at, uh, all sorts of different stuff and got into alcohol a little bit later on and boom. Yeah. (laughs) So what brought you to actually like create a virtual business around it right because I think most people are like no that's just something that's an in-person thing right like cocktails drinks that's all in-person stuff like people wouldn't do that virtually so how did you take it virtually and combine it with creating awesome events and experiences for people yeah I think um I think the need to pivot right it's like the need to pivot (laughs) back in 2020 I was doing um in-person experiences with a liquor brand I worked with in California as part of a promotional 
aspect is part of our marketing to get in front of more consumer audiences with alongside with our uh, retailers. And I fell in love with the concept of doing these things and creating these synapses with people who are creating custom crafted cocktails themselves, shaking it, opening tins, doing the thing and creating all of these very aha like moments, these transitional moments for people to be able to get more confident in their own creative abilities. So when COVID happened, I had already moved from California when I was doing that job over to North Carolina. And as a side hustle, I was doing it at local co-working spaces with other business people. And when I started to do live streaming online to engage my friends on Facebook, it actually kind of took off. So I started to figure out, okay, how can I monetize this? How can I get into a space where I can work with maybe personal parties and birthday parties and weddings for people who couldn't be in person with one another during the pandemic and got into more of a a B2B space. And then I started to really dive into research, market research, not only talking to people, but articles and, and looking into things that are going on in the news and seeing, wow, a lot of people are really benefiting from this flexibility of work from home or work from travel. Right. Right. So the industry, not only do we get a snapshot to 20 years in the future about what the workplace is going to look like in a more virtual environment, but we also got a snapshot personally of the flexibility that we're able to have um, as, a, as part of a team or as part of client acquisition. So these are some of the things that I started to recognize as opportunities to work with companies and became more of a B2B company myself. Mm, yes. Okay. I I love that story of transitioning. I think businesses mm. that are able to take what's happening around them and make their business kind of mold to that while still keeping the essence of their business. I have a lot of respect for businesses that do that because I think it's necessary in whatever business you're in because the world is constantly changing. And so I think mm-hmm. that that's a really important skill to have and to apply to your business. Did you find it hard to make that pivot or was it kind of just like nope that's just the next thing we'll just figure it out that's how we're gonna go um for me going the pivot to virtual or the pivot yeah, to, to from virtual. the different things I think any pivot comes from a place of curiosity yeah. so if as long as you are you have an end in mind goal of like I want this for my business I want to bring in this amount of revenue I want to serve this number of people then you figure out a way to do it right so if it's from switching to virtual or switching from consumers to, to corporate or switching from a service to a product, right? All, all right. of us have to go through those transitional moments where we have to open up to curiosity about what we have the capacity to do and what we don't have the capacity to do yet. Mm. Um, and so it's every transitional part of my, of my journey has really come from being curious about where it can go next. I love that. Okay. So I'm curious to know what your perspective is on what the, what this podcast was essentially built on, which is, do you think that there is a difference between being a solopreneur, being a business owner? And if so, how would you define both? I think the biggest thing that we have to do when we're going through, because right now I'm in the transition of building my own team. I have about four people that I have with me right now. One is my partner, romantic partner, actually, and he's coming yeah. on to help me with a lot of the organizational processes, because guess what? I'm the creative. <laughs> I love it. You know, actually, that's so interesting because it's kind of the opposite for for me and my romantic partner. We're working together as partners, too, and I'm more of the, organiza- the organizing, and yeah. he's all like content and things like that. So, so, mm-hmm. so interesting how it works like that. 
just like in romantic relationships or any relationship that you have in, in the business environment is identifying what it is that you're in, fact, you're in fact strong at and what you are in fact weak at. So one of the things that I did um, as I started to build this team, and it's kind of a, a document, I guess I would say, because I like my team is just like, stop with the spreadsheets, Rachel. We don't need any more spreadsheets. <laughs> you're but like, but I love a, spreadsheets. <laughs> I know. I have a spreadsheet for my spreadsheets, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> Um, so what I, what I ultimately created is, is an identification of the things that I am not inherently strong at, right? Like I'm not inherently strong at HR. I'm not inherently strong at bookkeeping. I'm not inherently strong at administrative and organizational strategies, right? I can follow an organizational strategy, but creating my own is really hard. So what I did is I identified, you know, some of these different roles and responsibilities and all the hats that we wear. And I put them down and kind of categorize them into things that take up time throughout the day that I do and that I I delegate onto others. And then I had everybody in my organization, and if that's you, it's everybody, (laughs) staff meeting, internal staff meeting. (laughs) And you identify um, the willingness and ability to do any of these particular tasks and you rate in a one to five. So I rated, you know, five for sales and marketing for me. And, you know, I, I put zero for, for bookkeeping, right? Like, I was yeah. just, and then everybody else in my team, like, it was so interesting to figure out what everybody maybe had the desire to do, but didn't have the skill set to do it, right? So we all saw opportunities for growth in ourselves, which was really interesting. But I, before that, I would say there was a point when I was actually doing research on taxation, and yeah. the point of going from a sole solopreneur LLC to an S corporation and putting yeah. myself on payroll. So as I was going through this process, um, you have to, when you're putting yourself on payroll, you have to pay yourself a reasonable salary. So when you're paying yourself a reasonable salary, you actually have to pay, like pay attention to all of the different tasks that you're doing in your business. And you have to rate yourself on the quality of work that you're doing to give That's yourself so a particular rate for that so that you can give yourself a reasonable salary for that task. Now this is administrative bookkeeping, marketing, sales, administrative duties, uh, HR and creative, whatever. So you actually have to rate yourself. And so I actually went through that. I was like, this is, seems like a really interesting exercise. So I rated myself and I was like, okay, now I can really get a feel for the team that I want to build. So these, whoever I bring on should need to be strong in, calendar management they should need to be strong in these types of of things so that we can all grow and get better so as you're before you're like I need to delegate xyz rate yourself on your ability to deliver high quality of service and then you get to be honest with yourself about like okay well if I'm willing to pay myself $15 an hour versus $100 an hour for delivering an event then I know that if as long as this person is somewhere is creating this value in in this particular thing, this is a good deal to pay them for this as opposed to this. So if I'm saying that my, my rate is a hundred dollars an hour and I'm doing bookkeeping for 10 hours, like, you know what I mean? Like, and I'm paying somebody $300 a month to do something, I'm actually getting a deal. You know what I mean? So like, if you're starting to look at things like that, you get to, you get to deliver yourself higher quality talent because you are not the expert at everything you're the Mm -hmm. expert at what you're the expert at so identify what those pieces are not just what you are an expert at but what you're willing to do within that right 
you know, and what, what things energize you and what things take away your energy. And those are the things you should be focusing on and you need to be delegating everything else out as soon as possible. Oh, okay. I appreciate you taking that a step further because I hear so many people say, well, yeah, when it comes to delegating, just look at the things that you're bad at or don't want to do and then delegate those. But you really took it a step further and go, okay, like I'm actually going to rate myself on a scale that's trackable, that's measurable and have the team as well. Because I see from the outside, what you're building is a company that you're finding the team that you need, you're crafting the team that you need, but you're also really prioritizing growth. Because you're going, okay, let's look at what you want to do, but may not have the skill sets to do. And now we can look to incorporate that in what you're doing in the company mm -hmm. and how you can start to learn those skills and be a part of this, this program or this team or this management project, whatever. Um, and that's a really cool way to include that, that culture of growth within your company while still having that expertise and the skills that you need. Yeah, because when you're, when you're talking about like client work, right? Like you want to be the best thing that happened to your client's life, right? You yeah. want to be like the end all be all solution. So right. if you are hiring yourself to do your bookkeeping at a, or like whatever practice that's subpar, then you aren't being able to do all of that. Right. So right. identifying those particular things within yourself holding yourself accountable and being really honest with yourself about these things really take away my energy every day. And if these things are taking away my energy from my business, think about what other things it's taking away the energy from in your life, your relationships, mm -hmm. your hobbies, like things that the reason why you started a business, right, is to have more time for those things. So create more time for those things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I know that you have a lot of experience in the, the idea of working on the mindset. So you kind of go from mm -hmm. this imposter syndrome, which I have definitely seen that that's a, a big deal among oh, yeah. a lot of new business owners, especially people. Um, they're more commonly solopreneurs because we often start by ourselves. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I've seen these people and they're like, yeah, I just, I, I can't charge what I think I'm worth, or I just don't think I can get any clients or anything like that. How do they go from that mindset where they really don't feel like they can do anything with their services or make their business successful and move into a place of leadership. So then they could get their business to the point where they can scale, they can delegate, they can look at themselves and not mm -hmm. feel bad going, okay, yeah, I do need to improve on these things, but I'm good at these things. And they can actually say that they're good at some things. Like the amount of people that have mm -hmm. a hard time saying what they're good at is very unfortunate. So how, how do you make that transition with your mindset there? You know, I, I'm so happy that they identified what imposter syndrome was. And I actually have a really cool video I, I would love to send you. It was someone that mm. recently did a, a, it was a graduation co like commencement speech around yeah. imposter syndrome and like why it was created. But ultimately imposter syndrome and how it interacts with our brain is that it tells us we're not enough. Right. But in yeah. actuality, if you think about the personalities that we see, and this is a generalization, this is not, this is not all, but in a lot of the cases, the people that aren't questioning if they aren't enough enough, sometimes put themselves into a position of like grandeur and they, yeah. and they tend to under deliver. Right. Yeah. So in actuality, what I've come to realize about imposter syndrome is gratitude for it. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm grateful that I care enough to have imposter syndrome. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, 
when you have imposter syndrome, it really just means that you care to a certain degree that you are questioning your abilities to perform at, at this at this rate because you you want your clients to have the quality of experience of this up here, but you're you don't see the other side of the picture. So identifying the pieces that that you want to deliver on in the highest quality and and like you said, just focusing in on those and and having the accountability of of hey, I'm really good at these pieces. And and I don't know, I guess just not lying to yourself about like what you are good and not good at, you know? Like yeah. Yeah. And then, then we just get to focus on, on our wins, like, and what define those wins. So one, if for me with imposter syndrome is having gratitude for my desire to care as much as I do about the process. Mm-hmm. And then two is to like, really see those, see the, I don't know, see those pieces and, and make some steps towards it. Right. Do yeah. a little bit of journaling, doing a little bit of, I don't know, something to like, create more gratitude for the skills that you do have, right? Because we tend to like compare Mm -hmm. our beginning to somebody else's middle, our middle to somebody else's end. So really identifying the wins that you have, counting your blessings in those places. So I have a win jar and it's like little wins. Like it's like, hey, sometimes it's, hey, I got up and brushed my teeth today (laughs) before 10 o'clock. And like sometimes it's, yeah, sometimes it's, hey, I I got a $10,000 client today. Like it can be, it can be whatever it can be, but the more you count your blessings and your wins, take a picture, put it on the wall. Like if you're a visual person, those things will remind you how worthy you are every day. Mm. Yeah, that I have never heard that perspective before on imposter syndrome, <laughs> but I've always heard the saying of like, oh, like if you're, um, if you're thinking about imposter syndrome, if you're thinking about how you're not enough or things like that, that probably means that you are enough, right? That you don't exactly. have imposter syndrome, right? But I love that idea of when that comes up, facing it with gratitude and going, okay, I appreciate that I care enough. And I love that reframe of it. It's not that I'm not mm-hmm. enough. It's I, that I care a lot and that this is important to me. Um, and it reminded me of something that one of my ballroom coaches, I used to be a ballroom dancer, would say to me as well, like nervousness and and experiencing anxiety, anxiety uh, around things, which I think can often be coupled with imposter syndrome. Like when mm-hmm. you're looking at, oh, I'm getting a new client, there's sometimes anxiety around that stress. Um, it's, it's because you, you care, you want to show up, mm-hmm. you you understand that somebody paid you money, which is valuable, right? And going, okay, like I want to deliver on the results and mm-hmm. I want to make sure that what I'm delivering is good to these people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's all comes back to reframing at it, uh, reframing it and looking at it like, yes, this is because I do care. And so how can I set up the routines, the systems to make sure that I am showing up and that is something that I have full control over? Yeah. And we get, we get caught in perfectionism, right? Like, cause that's what that realistically is. And of course, like the easiest thing that we've heard over and over again is imperfect action is, is perfect action, right? <laughs> like at yeah. taking action is no matter how imperfect it is, we get data, right? So yeah. if you look at it in a little bit more of a scientific way, it can be really interesting if you're like, I'm going to take this action. And if I totally F it up, then it's going to be great because <laughs> I'm going to learn the process and I'm going to know that was not great. I'm not going to do that again. Or right. what part of this process actually did benefit? Like I did benefit from the result, even if it was a total like blow up. And we've all had them, right? Where we've yeah. completely blown up a certain X, Y, Z. And you're like, okay, well, I learned that I don't want to do this, this, and this. 
but I actually liked this. And maybe if I tweak it a little bit, I can incorporate that and that'll be a little bit better, right? right. You don't give yourself those opportunities if you're stuck in the paralysis of perfectionism. Mm. So true. So true. Mm -hmm. Oh, this has been a great conversation so far. I do want to move into talking about your experience with events. Um, I see uh, events are very popular now, special virtual events. There's a whole bunch of different types of events, like challenges, masterclasses, all of these different things that people use as a marketing strategy. Um, there's also a whole bunch of communities being created, like Facebook groups and things like that. But I'm starting mm -hmm. to see that they are definitely getting a little bit saturated just because they work. And so people are using them. And, and so I would really love to know your perspective on how to make your event different and how to be able to cre quickly create community when you only have a specific short amount of time with people. Oh, oh my gosh, this is kind of loaded. Um, <laughs> yeah, so you're here. welcome. Yeah. Oh, no, there's, so, there's so much here. That's really awesome. So to make an event successful and by successful, I mean, high registrations, high yeah. turnups and high and high number of people that stay from the beginning to the end, right? right? So there's three factors when it comes into building a successful event. And when you have that successful event built, then you have the opportunity to create community. So mm. how do you get high registration? Well, you give people what they want. You don't give people what you sell them, right? So mm -hmm. if your event is around, um, so for me, if my event is around, you know, driving virtual engagement with a community, right? Yeah. Then I'm going to say, hey, don't you want to have like, a bunch of raving fans in the audience and XYZ, like, and people that stay from the beginning to end, then hire a virtual cocktail experience, right? Yeah. Someone that's going to support you in your virtual engagement strategy, right? That's what I'm selling. What they want is raving fans, right? Right. So, yeah. right? so selling what people want or, and even if it's in a free event, right? Free mm -hmm. events, ultimately, when, when someone clicks that they're going to commit, that is a sale, even if there's no money. Right. right. They're, you're, they're buying into what you have to offer. Yes. Then, especially with a free event, the turn up rate is somewhere between if, if it's good <laughs> is around 40%. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> so and then from the 40%, it, I, it is, especially if it's free because yeah. they're not like, and so what you have to create is if they don't show up, they don't get blank. Right. So mm. between the point of registration and the, and the point that they show up yeah. is when you are kind of saying, Hey, remember, you're going to get this uh, at, at the end of the event. Stay tuned. Da -da. Remember to sign up, like, remember to do this. And right. so between that registration point and, and, and creation, like of them tuning into the event, you can work on building a community. So a lot mm. of people do this. Um, there's some people in the virtual event community, blue and Barry from stage events. They're amazing. Mm -hmm. And they create a year round group that they engage with yeah. so that they can share, you know, new strategies, they can share new programs that they're doing, right? But they yeah. utilize that community to um, get people into the gamification process. So you yeah. can gamify your experience, your event before they even sign up or yeah. like before they even tune in to say, share on social media this and you get 10 points. Um, you know, share the three things that you're looking forward to learning from this experience, share, you know, and, you know, tag three people, you know, doing all those like little things that we all know, but they get points for it, right? And so they start building on a leaderboard before they even get into the event. Mm. So then when they get into the event, 
if they're saying certain things in the chat, if they're, you know, doing different things, these call to action pieces that are going to get them up on a leaderboard to be, to get recognition from this expert that they so admire, but also yeah. people, people have points like yeah. for points, people are points, points people, and right? gifts and yeah. Gifts and things. Yeah. It's so much fun. Right. Yeah. I love it. Everybody loves it. So I, yeah, I'm hundred percent a fan of it. Yeah. So gamification at any point in the process is going to really benefit engagement within your community. So um, that's a, that's a strategy that I recommend. And then mm. once you're in the event, you want to be pushing back and forth different things all the time. So yeah. having a 30 minute segment about X, Y, Z is going, you're going to get drop-offs, right? Yeah. Unless, unless it's an interview, like you and I going back and forth mm. here. So it's going to be really good to have, like, even when people hire me to come on and do two cocktails at their, you know, sales pitch that they're going to be doing for prospective clients. Yeah. What, I recommend always is to split them up. So mm -hmm. whether we are kicking it off with a cocktail and we're doing, um, you know, an educational segment for like maybe 10 to 12, maybe 15 minutes at most. Yeah. And then we'll kick it back to the cocktail Q and a, you know, putting a sales pitch somewhere in the middle there. Polls are okay. Yeah. And more so like put in the chat because mm. you get people like, right. Like the polls that come up on the screen, block your face. They block the, that connection piece. So I'm not actually, and maybe I'm alone on this, but I'm not actually yeah. a huge fan of utilizing those poll things that pop up, but yeah, mainly because I find them really kind of irritating myself, but yeah. So I like things where you get to people to engage in the chat talk about themselves because yeah. when you're in an event and one of the things that we fail to realize in virtual is we talk to people, but people should be talking back to us. So the more we get yeah, people man. to talk back to us, the more engaged that they are, the more successful we are at building that community. Yeah. But the most successful way to build a community is to get them to talk to each other. Oh. So that's why those community and Facebook groups are really important because you get them to like, you know, comment on somebody else's post, meet somebody, introduce, show your face, you know, those types of things yeah. is really important because when you're in an in-person event, the hallway conversations at the conventions are what drive people to come back. It's not about the True. content as much as it's even about them creating those relationships, right? It comes down True. to the watering hole, you know, like people go to the same watering hole because yep. they see the same warthogs, you know? It's like, yeah. So, <laughs> so we have three different styles of interaction. We have, you know, one to many, um, like one to one, like ultimately we're going like back and forth and then the right. many to many, which is a very, very important part of, part of building that community, which is really important part of this podcast, so. Yeah. How do you encourage people to talk to each other? Because I know a lot of people who have Facebook groups are trying to build, let's say they have a private Facebook group for their clients. So when they buy in, their clients get a private Facebook group and the owner is the only one engaging, only one answering questions, because that's, that's really all we have control over. We can't control whether people talk to each other or not, but how can you encourage that where people then comment and uh chat with each other because I, I like i'm looking at engagement posts and engagement posts are you having a conversation with the person that made the engagement mm -hmm. post not with other people on the chat thread so how would you encourage that oh a good old classic this versus that yeah <laughs> you know what i mean and then people get to have that conversation right so yeah. One for me, obviously, throwing parties, throw parties yeah. for your clients, right? Yeah. Like 
corporate gifting parties, get them to interact with each other. Like the benefit of masterminds and, and group coaching is that they get to learn from each other's stories. But if they're yeah. only talking about the things that they can relate to, they're not building that special bond unless right. they're hitting up each other's private Facebook DMs, right? So encouraging that sense of connection for them to renew the following year to stay mm -hmm. in by developing those relationships amongst each other. And a lot of the times coaches I see don't do this because they're scared of not being the, the top dog, right? Yeah. So they don't want to encourage that interaction because what if, what if they end up buying each other stuff and then they, you know, and then that whole yeah. scarcity mindset comes through. But we have yeah. to remember that we're the, we're the bar owners, we're the business owners, we're the people that are right. holding the space. And as long as yeah. we are at, at good at facilitating, which I'm sure there's a course on that, yep. can do, <laughs> we can bring those people together and facilitate a really interesting event for these people, sending them gifts, doing these things and, and still exhibiting yourself as the expert in that, in that group but also as the glue that keeps the group together. Oh man, this has been so, 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 so good. So many great insights. <laughs> I'm definitely going to take all this. So um, how do you continue this? My last question for today is what do you think is the most important aspect when it comes to community to really foster and build? And how do you continue to keep that up for the long term in a community? Um. I don't know. I, I want to say vulnerability. So yeah. if you ever follow people like Brene Brown, who yep. really leans into vulnerability and like the ability mm -hmm. to rumble and to address certain things, the quickest way to downfall is to start, you know, silencing people and, you know, creating these like weird boundaries that like, and then people just, they fall out. Right. Yeah. So staying, staying in constant, staying present is really important obviously you're saying you know the only the only person that's moderating in the group mm -hmm. is important because they want to hear from you even if they're not interacting they appreciate yeah. you showing up so yeah. just continue to show up and then also just being vulnerable with with these different things if you don't know an answer don't pretend you do but being mm -hmm. like hey you know this is a really interesting topic i'm definitely going to take note of this and see what I can come back with on next week's call, right? Yeah. So being being really vulnerable about what you are an expert in and what you don't have the answers to, being able to provide a solution or, or referring that business out or referring that question out to someone who is an expert and maybe even bringing them into your community and creating that leverage to potentially go into their community. So that's something I didn't really quite get into is strategic partnerships, but that is a huge, yeah. huge post like, thing around building community is leveraging other people's audiences and stages. But right. ultimately, it's like, a, it's a good thing to, to bring in other experts, because it builds your social capital. Too. Yeah. So being vulnerable in what you can provide, but also leveraging other people's expertise and audiences to, to get where you need to go. So true. So true. Oh, this has been so great. So <laughs> Where can people find you if they want help with this, if they want to connect with you, just be a part of your world. I know you have a free giveaway. So you want to tell us a little bit about that and then where people can find you. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much, Alina, for, for having me on. Um, so good. So yeah, I, I, I mean, I love talking about all of these things. So this is great. Um, <laughs> yes, you're clearly an expert. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I am passionate, you know, yeah. um, so the best way to get a hold of me is definitely um, if you go to the website, you can hit the contact thing. If you want to talk about any particular event that you have coming up, 
I have an Instagram, which I am on way too regularly because I am a memeaholic. So if you have anything you want to send in the DMs, I'm definitely present over there. And, um, and then I do have a giveaway for you guys. So I love teaching people about how to kind of grow into the different stages in our businesses. I actually created a giant course on it. Like, I don't know if you want to, if you want it, I can give it away for free. It's like, I, I, I ended up making this giant course to coach. And then I was like, free. So um, I actually created it's a, a little presentation. Um, that's that's not a video. It's like an actual little PDF thing. And it's the five steps um, yeah. to create more space and time in your business without sacrificing you. So without sacrificing your energy, your time, what are the things that you can do to leverage more impact with less time so that you can actually focus on why you started a business to begin with? So there's that. And then there's a couple of like little um, discounts if you wanted some cocktail engagement within your communities and within your events. Um, I actually have a $150 discount code that is in there. So you guys can can make use of that as well. Amazing. Well, thank you so, so much for your time. It's been such a pleasure. Do you have anything else you want to add before we finish up for today? Yeah, I mean, um, just remember guys that the imperfect action is the best steps forward and that you get to lead into lean into vulnerability. You get to be honest about what you are an expert in and what you get to hire out for. And just, just remember that in order to get from solopreneur to that place where you have more freedom is to just take accountability and be honest with yourself. So That's true. Oh, and amazing. Yes. Thank you so much. <laughs> This has been so great. I truly appreciate your time. Let's go ahead and uh, cue that outro clip. Thanks for listening to The Business Shift, where we chat about no-nonsense insights and strategies to help you transform your online business into a successful empire. If you or someone you know is an online business owner and are looking to increase the retention and ascension of their programs and outsource their fulfillment, I would love to connect. You can connect with us at yourclientsuccess.com. Until next time, keep shifting your business towards success.